Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to read in verse 23. It says, the man said, this is now my bone, or the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, this is Adam referring to Eve, woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Everyone say one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They were naked, and they felt no shame. I want to read one other scripture to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15 it says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Then, so shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in his body? For it is said that two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one flesh with him in spirit. Now that word prostitute there, uh, even in the Greek, it, it's not necessarily limiting it to somebody who, when you hear that word, you think of someone who stands on a street corner, um, you know, in, in the area of town that you don't go to and tries to sell their body. And that can be a part of it. And that can be a male or a female. But really, it's anybody who invites you into something to receive something, to receive what they cannot give. So a, a prostitute is someone who is trying to give you something that's not yours. So if I give something that I do not own, it's as if in the language of the New Testament that I'm prostituting or I'm giving of myself something that God has not designed for me or called for me to give. And so what happens is this is the way that we live and what we see at work in culture is that we see people giving to others something that God did not give them permission or call to them to give. So if I gave something, and I did this when I was in high school. I had relationships before I met Noel, and there were pieces of what I gave to the people that I had dated. There were pieces of me that I gave that did not belong to me. They, they were not mine to give. Now, ultimately, they belonged to God, but there were conversations that I had to have with Noel that said, I gave some things to the girls that I dated before you that really should have been reserved for you. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God, that in spite of the fact that I gave things that were not mine to give, he gave me what I did not deserve which is his love and his forgiveness and his grace. And in spite of every single wrong thing I've ever done, God's invitation to me yet again is to it into a place of wholeness where he says, you don't deserve it, but I'll give it to you anyways. Like you don't deserve life, but I'll give it to you anyways. You don't deserve forgiveness, but I'll be it for you anyways. You don't deserve a future, but I will give you one anyways because I love you so much. Anybody thankful for that? Come on, that's who Jesus is. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that God is one who is like waiting for you to mess up on the rules. And so that when you fall out of line with the rules, that you are now outside of the kingdom. But it's, it's the other way around. It's actually when you didn't follow the rules, Jesus did so that once and for all, you could be in even though you don't deserve to be in. Now, is that an invitation to not follow the rules, to live outside and do whatever you want so that you're, the, the grace of God can just be so rich for you and you don't have to actually do anything to live holy? No, that's a misinterpretation. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk with this idea for the next few minutes. Sex 
what and why. Sex, what and why. If you like better titles, you can title this one Nudity and Unity. And it really doesn't have much to do, it has a little bit to do with my message, but I thought it was funny, because it kind of rhymes. So, you're welcome. Nudity and unity. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray and let's invite the Holy Spirit to undo the title that I just gave you and hopefully redeem something about tonight. Lord, we thank you that your presence is here and where your presence is, where your spirit is, there's freedom. We pray for anyone in bondage right now. Anyone who is bound to old ways of thinking. Anyone who is bound to um, shame. Anyone who is bound to things that happened to them as a child. Anyone who is bound by the shame that they feel um, when they leave the presence of their friends and they feel like a half of a person. Anyone who is bound to that, we thank you, God, that in Jesus' name you're breaking that off right now. God, you are setting people free. And that he who or she who the Son sets free is indeed once and for all because of the blood of Jesus, the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus, we are indeed free. And we thank you for that tonight. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. uh, for those of you who don't know, I've been married for 13 years to Noel. We've been, we just celebrated our 13-year anniversary, and, um, and that's, it's pretty awesome. I love marriage. Um, but, uh, and we were actually just talking, um, you know, last night with some friends about how we hate it when people, like, talk about marriage in such a, like, a harsh, like, negative light, right? Like, marriage is hard, but it's worth it. Like, really? Like, it doesn't seem like you really like it that much. I love marriage, but... Truth is, it sometimes is not easy. And sometimes what you get is a little bit different than what you expected. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were youth pastors for 15 years, started a church in 1998 when I was 13 years old. And when, when, when we started the church, I came out to, to Homa High School, I was going into eighth grade, and I, it was my first introduction to public school. And my first, my very first memory, and this is no joke, this is straight out of a movie, is I went downstairs at the old Tahoma Junior High School, which is now Tahoma Elementary School, and in the basement, I was walking into my art class, I got there late because my mom gave me the wrong bus time, and I got into the class, and I was there late, and outside was, was a girl up against the wall with her foot up against it, and her, the, the guy was like, he had his hand up on the wall, and they were full on making out. And I'm like... I don't know what I feel right now. Like, I've, this is not what I'm used to, right? And that was my, my very first, very first memory at Tahoma High School or middle school, junior high, whatever, was, was, this, was this memory. And I remember growing up in youth group culture and what you might call nowadays, you might hear it called purity culture. And the emphasis for many years was... Make sure that you don't do this thing or this thing or this thing. Because if you do this thing, then you're going to miss out. But if you don't do this thing, but you do do this thing, then you'll have a rockin' marriage. That was it. Like, make sure you don't put your hands anywhere. Make sure you don't look at anything wrong. And make sure you only watch PG-13 movies that it's PG-13 for the violence and not for the sexual content. 
Like, I'm, 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 this is just real. This is what I grew up in. Like, you, and, and make sure that everything, like, it was this, it was this box that they put all of these things inside of and said, if you do this, then you are going to have the best marriage possible. And, and, and I remember having this picture that there was going to be a day that I was going to get married. I didn't know who it was. I knew it was coming, though. And when I got married, I was going to have just the most incredible marriage. And we were going to have, we were going to do the things that you get to do when, when you're in marriage. And, and I imagined this, like, and I thought about it. I, I anticipate, I knew it was coming, and I was so excited about it. I know this is weird, but this is what every young person, this is what you think about, especially when you grew up in the youth group that I did. And I remember I had this picture that said, someday I'm going to get there. And all of my struggles... All of my struggles and all of my issues and all of the things that I'm worried about, they're going to disappear. Now, we laugh because it's kind of funny and it's kind of trite. The truth is, there was a toxic mentality that, that, that held me down for years that said, when I get married, I'll no longer struggle with lust. That when I get married, then I will want to engage with my wife and be intimate every second of every day. And I remember even into my engagement with my wife, part of my story, which I'll go into later, is that I, but with all of my mistakes and all of my struggles, my first time having sex was on my wedding night. Now that might not be your story. Whoever laughed, I appreciate it. That was my story. I'm thankful for it. It's part of my story. I'm, I'm glad. There are things that I struggled with beforehand that, that I did not save for, for my wife. And I, and I wish that I could go back. And this is all part of the narrative. But here's, here's, here's the toxic thinking. Was that the day that it, when, when the day finally comes that I get into marriage and that I step into it, that I will have this eternal, never-shaking, never-depleting desire for everything godly, and I will never, ever want to sin again. And can I tell you that that is nothing further from the truth? That is so far from the truth. That actually, the temptation begins to multiply and ramp up every time you do the right thing. Because the enemy begins to see where you're at and he says, you're actually on the track to fulfillment and I don't want you fulfilled. So I'm going to do everything I can to combat you being fulfilled. So you got into a godly marriage, guess what? I'm going to throw lust at you even faster. You got into a great relationship, guess what? I'm going to bring you temptation like you've never seen before. And we think once we get into it, it's just going to go away. Can I tell you, it will not go away. It's always going to come to your door and knock. And this is the dilemma that we find ourselves in because what we, we, we've got ourselves in a culture now that, that, that has these pictures of what it is meant to look like. And then we get into it and we realize there was a way that seemed right, but in the end, it's actually leading me to nothing but unfulfillment. And the reason is, and this is what I want you to get, is because the vision was all about me. One of the most wrong things about sexuality in our culture today 
is that it is all about the end user. I mean, think about it. Most of the conversations we have, most of the, the conversations that we watch on social media, most of the conversations that we hear, what are they? It's all about my feelings and what I want and what I desire and what, what I need and me, 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 my, my, my. It's a reference to Hook. You won't get it. It's okay. 1991, one of the greatest movies of all time. Me, 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 my, my, my. It's all about me. And so I grew up wanting to love God. I wanted to follow God's plan for my life. But the vision that I had when it came to sexuality was not about God. It was about me. The first thing you need to understand, you got to write this down, is sex is not about you. It's actually about Jesus. Weird, I know, that's so weird. But actually, your sexuality, just like your life, was designed in order to bring honor and glory to Jesus. That's it. The primary purpose that you have as a human being and the primary purpose that your sexuality and culture's sexuality exists for is not for you. It's not for you. And it's not for me. It's actually that I would honor God. And this is what we need to understand. Sex has a purpose. And that purpose is not about me. It says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and he's united to his wife, and together they become one flesh. So I want to talk about the purpose of sex real quick. I want to say purpose. So the purpose, and I'm going to call this the, the functional purpose of sex. There's a threefold purpose of sex, okay? So the first purpose is procreating, making babies. You exist because of this. And some of you are like, wait, you sure? Are you serious? You, you serious? Start putting things together. I want you to go home and talk to your mom and dad. Um, the second, Second is desire, or might call it pleasure. So there's a purpose in sex, and part of it is making babies. But that's not the only part of it. That actually part of it is for fun. <laughs> this is cool. I'm not, I'm not trying to be trite. I'm not trying to make light of it. This is true. And this is actually a God thing. This is not an enemy thing. This is a perverted thing in culture. The enemy has absolutely wrapped his arms around it and tried to pervert this. But anything he tries to pervert is something beautiful upside down. That's it. Like there's nothing wrong in culture that wasn't first beautiful. The enemy took it and he perverted it. Because he wants you to think that it's evil. Why? Because he knows that this was actually designed for your good. And I will, I will, in an honoring and not funny way, I will say I love sex. 
because it was something that God designed for my good and for my marriage and my kids exist because of it because I got to make some babies and we, got to de- we get to desire each other. But can I tell you, this is a two-legged stool and if this is what your sexuality and your framework is limited to, guess what? It's going to fall down. This is a two-legged stool. Why? Because there's a third leg to this and that is unity. Unity is the third purpose. Unity is what matters so much. And this, or you might call it bonding. And this is the one that culture misses. I'm not against culture. We had a song tonight that is really good in culture. And we have a great sound person who helped us to not hear the entire thing. I mean... Can we give it up for Will and our sound team? Side note. I got seven minutes until I go over. And then another seven minutes. Culture has gotten this one wrong. Culture, depending on where you go, because you go into some very conservative leaning cultures, procreation has become an idol. Okay? Making babies is all it is. It's mechanical. You know what that led to? Cults. There's, there have been cults where dozens of people were raped or even murdered as a result of the idolatry of procreation. It would be one person who wants as much of this He's got the desire, and he hides behind the mission of procreation. So what does he do? He creates a cult out of it. He feels the power of it. And now you've got people manipulated and exploited. Why? Broken sexuality that idolizes one part of this. So I want you to hear me. Procreation is good, but it's not the point. Desire is good. And let me tell you, it's great, but it is not the point. It's a piece of it. But unity is the foundation. And here's, the, here's what happens. We get this, this triangle. You might call it a love triangle. And you've got the procreation here, right? You've got the desire here, but you've got the unity on the bottom. You cannot twist this. You cannot manipulate it. If you do not have this, you do not have a triangle. You do not have anything that can stand. And here's what sex without unity becomes. Manipulation. Rape. What is rape? It's one person's desire overpowering the other. Can I be real? Like that's what rape, do we want to talk about it? Like do we want to talk about the things that our culture is reeling from? It's what happens when one person says my desire matters more than the other. When your desires come together and you mutually sacrifice for the other, suddenly you've got unity. Unity is on display 
when sexuality is done in the way that God designed it. Why? Because now two are becoming one. They're united in one flesh, which is a picture for what Jesus did when he sacrificed everything for the church so that you and I can sit here today and say, in spite of our screw-ups, we are still alive, and God loves us, and he's got a purpose and a future and a plan for us. What is this? This is unity. So when I respond to God's initiation, now I am partaking in it is not God forcing himself on me. It is God inviting me in to the table. And this is what we get to symbolize as we engage in proper sex. But what happens is culture is so loud that this, and here, here it is, because it's not just the aggressor, it's the receiver too. Because remember, You can be someone who presses on, or you can be someone who resists, too. And what do we see? We see self-care. Self-care. Idol. I'm down for self-care. I go to counseling. I'm down for self-care. I make pour-over coffee. And in doing so, I care for my soul. It really ministers to me. Got a whole kit back there. Got the Chemex. Got it all. This is self-care. Adam's putting his hand in his face. I don't care. He's making fun of me. I love my pour over. It is my self-care. I play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, the re-release on the Xbox online, and I need some new, new, uh, new competitors. So if you play Tony Hawk and you can actually throw down, you let me know. This is self-care. I'm down for self-care. I'm down for self-care. But self-care, what does it become in our culture? It is the most important thing. And when self becomes the most important thing, you don't even realize that what you are doing is you are fighting against unity. Unity cannot happen when two people care for themselves. Unity happens when two people care for the other more than themselves. Can I say that again so you hear it for those in the back? Unity cannot happen when you are coming to the table to defend and care for and protect just yourself. Unity happens when you come to the table or to the marriage bed and you bring a desire to protect and serve and love the other more than yourself. And this is God's design for sexuality. God's design for sexuality is what? Unity. So how do we get unity? Because there's brokenness. You've all heard it. There's tons of brokenness. There's a lot of really messed up stuff. And when there's brokenness, you cannot honor God. So how do we get back to this? And here's what I want. I'm going to give you two points and we're going to be done. How do we get back to this? Number one, we refocus the aim. Write this down. This is important. Refocus the aim. In other words, get a vision. Get a vision. And this is not a, an unrealistic picture of perfection. Because I had a vision. And I, I would tell you about them, but it's really weird. The things that I would, like, the things that I imagined being eventually when I would step into marriage, I would think, like, we're going to, no, I'm not, I, I had all these pictures <laughs> of the things that I would do someday when I get married. And the things that, like, what marriage is going to look and feel like. And you know what it came back to? My desire. I cannot tell you one single thought I had as a high school or middle school student 
about my future marriage and sexuality. And I had a desire to honor God with it. But I cannot tell you one time or one memory of when I was thinking about it and how can I serve the other and glorify God. That was not on the forefront of my mind. That was in my back pocket, nestled into a bunch of receipts. That was not something that I was even thinking about. And what you've got to do is recenter a vision that merges, get this, that merges your desire with God's desire for you. Get a vision for sexuality that is not all your desire and not all God's desire. That is actually a merging of the two where you say, I want this and this and this. I want a great sex life. I want a great marriage that honors God. I want all of this kind of stuff. And... I want to be willing to sacrifice it to get God's best, not just my own. And friends, sometimes God's best will conflict with what you think your best is. Yeah, it is. Because God's best is that when you have a desire, when you are even in... I said desire doesn't just go away. That when you have a desire... That instead of cheating on your spouse to fulfill this desire, that you sacrifice your desire. But what does the secular mode do? Puts desire as a God. So what does it teach your psyche to do? Every time you have desire, number one is to fulfill it. Every time I want... I need it. I need to go get it. I need to go fulfill it. I need to go find a way to answer this feeling, this desire. I need to go and and fix this because I don't like this tension that I'm feeling. But God's call to you is not just desire. It's also unity. It's also procreation. And when you can't do those, guess what? This is an opportunity to sacrifice and say no to your flesh and yes to the spirit of God. So what do we do? We get a vision that merges God's best for us and does not just be dishonest about our desires. Because some of us, and this is what the culture does also, when it rages against us, is what we do is we, we say, well, I'm not allowed to have desires. So what do we do? We start to ignore and suppress them. We put them on the shelf, we, we close the drawer, and we walk away. We won't even talk about it or acknowledge it. So we demonize even the conversation about desires that we may not know how to articulate or know how to navigate. We don't even know how to approach this. So what do we do? We just put it away and think, I'm not allowed to feel. I'm not allowed to think. I'm not allowed to question. I'm not allowed to talk. I'm not allowed to have, I don't even know. And what do we do? We start to treat ourselves like we're evil, like we're broken, which we are. But in our brokenness, God is enough and he brings us whole, makes us whole. So what, what do we do? We come back to the desire, but we do not place the desire above God. And what our cultural sexual revolution does is it puts desire above God. And it is willing that when they sink up to keep it. But the moment that God disagrees with your desire is the moment that you sacrifice God. Why? Because you put the wrong thing on top. God always wins. God is the most important thing in your life and in your sexuality. 
If you've never met Jesus, I want to make an invitation to you tonight to meet Jesus and place him at the forefront and the foundation of your entire worldview. That everything you do from here on out actually sacrifices everything so that you can follow Jesus. And until the day you breathe your last breath, that every aim is to continue to, in your weakness, follow Jesus in his strength and say, God, when I have not enough, you are enough. God, when I don't get it all, you get it all. And you know me and you know my innermost desires. And even in the darkness and even in the mess ups, God, you still love me. Come on, are you thankful that God loves you in the midst of your desire? Are you thankful that God didn't call you to be perfect, but called you to follow the one who is? And as you follow the one who is, he's perfecting you. And this is where we begin now to see the the reformation of the inside of our hearts into the image of God. But when we put desire over, we start to give ourselves, and whether it's desires for sexuality that is outside marriage between a man and a woman, which we'll, we'll dig deeper into, or whatever it might be, or it's a desire for porn at three in the morning, or it's a desire to, maybe you're not looking at anything, but the text conversations that you're having are feeding an internal desire that you have. You ever done that? Say, I didn't do anything, but you knew where your heart was the whole time. And you were dating your girlfriend, but then there's this other girl over here that you're texting that makes you feel something that you haven't felt in a bit since you first started dating. And you think, well, I didn't do anything, so is that still okay? No, 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 no. What are you doing? You're putting desire over God. And here's the goal, friends, is that we get a new picture, a new image, a new vision for what sexuality can look like. That God's desire, can I tell you, can I tell you a few of God's desires for you? God actually desires, when it comes to sexuality, God desires pleasure for you but it's pleasure and control. That God desires fun times and strength when it's not fun. That God actually desires self-care and intimacy with someone else. That God desires passion and commitment. That God desires for you and for your benefit. God desires holiness and humility when you're not holy. That God desires for you unity and individuality. That you don't have to sacrifice who God made you to be so that you can please somebody else. That God actually desires both for you. And the aim is unity in sexuality. With the goal that in unity we honor God. In unity we honor God. Here's the second point, write this down. So first, we need to refocus the aim. Second, we need to remove the shame. And I I, I just wanna encourage anybody in here who feels ashamed for who they are, what they struggle with, what they felt, what they've done, where you've come from. Can, can, can you just allow God to remove the shame off of you? That he, he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life, 
so that for your sin, he could die. And that he would go to the cross and he would carry the cross after receiving the ripping open of his back with 40 lashes and the crown of thorns in his head and the nails through his hands and through his feet and the, and the, 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 the spear through his side and the blood and water spilling out of his body and the shame of the entire world's sin being focused onto him and him not doing a single thing to deserve it, yet loving humanity. And in that, all the while, the people who he's dying for are spitting on him, hurling insults. And God says, Lord, forgive them, for they not know, know not what they're doing. And God, I still love them so much that I'm willing to die right here and now. Then I'll go down to hell and once and for all take the keys. And I will rise from the grave to once and for all. Let the all of the earth know that I died for them in spite of them. In spite of their failures. In spite, you might not even agree with me here. God still loves you. You might not get this yet. God still loves you. I don't even get it all yet. God still loves me. I've made mistakes. God still loves me. You suck, and so do I. And God still loves you because it's not about what you did. It's what he did once and for all to let you know that you are loved, that you are called, that you are believed in, that you've got a grace and a purpose and a future for your life. That's what Jesus came to do. And when you get that and you live from that, you can now begin to to get to the place where you have the right desires and you have the right future and you have the right goal and the right aim, but it is not for this. It is from a place of being loved by God. Would you stand with me? Would you close your eyes? We're going to wrap up here. Would you lift your hands all over this room in a sign of surrender? And um, I know that I'm, I'm preaching this message in the midst of a, of a culture and a world that is not preaching the same. And I, and I want to I tell you that I'm not doing this to spite the world. I'm not doing this to resist. And I'm not even doing this to say, like to make a statement. What I'm doing this for is that you would know God's purpose and plan for your life. That's what I want for you. I'm doing this knowing that we're also on a journey. And I'm still asking, like I did last week, like I will next time, is I'm asking you not to make up your mind, but simply to say, yes, God, I'll I'll step in this with you. I'll walk this journey with you. I'll figure this out over time. And like we've said before, it takes a lifetime to figure out how to follow Jesus. And once you figure it out, you're already dead. So we're not going to get this right. But the goal is still the same. That keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, for who the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and you can consider him who endured opposition, that you might not grow weary and lose heart. That's my aim for you. That's my desire, my goal for you, is that you keep your eyes back on Jesus. Lift your hands all over this room, close your eyes. And if you're in this room, and you'd say, you know what, Taylor, that's me. I've been, I've been making my life about me. My sexuality has been about me. My, my, my future plans and desires have been about me and my desires and what I want and 
what I feel and the struggle that I have, and it's all about me. But Taylor, tonight, God, tonight, I want to make this about you, Jesus. I want to make my future and my desires about finding unity in a way that glorifies you. If that's you, with your hands lifted, we're going to sing, Lord, send revival. And what we're going to do, though, is we're not singing this just for this place. We're singing this for your heart. We're singing this for me. I'm singing this. God, would you revive me from the inside out? God, what is dead inside of me? Make it come alive. God, what is broken in me? Would you bring healing to it? God, what's in my past and the shame and the, and the fear and the temptation? God, would you make it right by a renewal of your spirit and make me whole once again like you created me to be? Can we sing this out? Lord, send revival.